Well, I want to give you guys a, um, <clears throat> a hearty congratulations for making it through this, this Mark journey that we've had. Um, 16 action-packed chapters uh, from the, the hand of Mark through the eyes of Peter. Uh, it, it's been a fun ride. And uh, regardless of uh, what Josh said on Sunday we are actually not finished with Mark. There is a little bit more to do. Um, but just for the sake of context, we are, or we left off Sunday kind of with this cliffhanger, right? This idea that what are we going to do with this gospel? Uh, and so if you look over in Mark 16, we're going to start in verse 9 tonight. If you look over there, you're going to see that in my mind, this is basically the rolling credits. And so, you know, there's some movies where the credits start to roll, and then throughout the credits, you start to see images of these main characters. Um, I think about uh, the movie Apollo 13. That, that was the one that came to my mind. As the credits roll, they, they kind of went through all the different characters, and they talked about, you know, so-and-so went on to um, do this and do that. Um, you know, Ken Mattingly, the guy who didn't get to go to the moon because he supposedly had measles. He, he got to go and do this on Apollo 16. And, and that's what I feel like this last part of Mark is like. The movie's over, the credits begin to roll, and then they start to tie up this story with a nice, pretty bow. And so as we dive in tonight, here, here's something that I want to introduce us to, this kind of, I guess, a filter, you could say, for our time tonight. Um, this idea here on the board it's, uh, it's not original to me, and uh, there's a guy named Lee Strobel who wrote Case for Faith, Case for Christ, several great books. The quote wasn't exactly like this, but some of the ideas that he was dealing with in that book were this. Never let the things you can't explain overwhelm the things that you can't deny. Strobel was uh, an atheist, devout atheist, and kind of on his quest to prove that God did not exist, uh, he encountered God and, and fell in love with him and, and is now a, a follower of Jesus. Uh, but this is, this is an idea that he wrestles with. Uh, coming from the place of a skeptic, he had lots of things that he couldn't explain, but eventually got to the point to where he never let the things that he couldn't explain overwhelm the things that he couldn't deny. And so as we dig into these last 12-ish verses... There are honestly going to be a couple things that we can't answer from them, and, and that's okay. Uh, but there are, are three massive truths that I would love for us to talk through tonight um, that are pretty amazing and that are absolutely undeniable. So let's start here in verse 9 of Mark 16. It says, After Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene, the woman from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping and told them what had happened. But when she told them that Jesus was alive and she had seen him, they didn't believe her. Afterward, he appeared in a different form to two of his followers who were walking from Jerusalem into the country. They rushed back to tell the others, but no one believed them. Still later, he appeared to the 11 disciples as they were eating together. He rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief because they refused to believe those who had seen him after he had been raised from the dead. And then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized 
will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name, and they will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety, and if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick, and they will be healed. When the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And the disciples went everywhere and preached, and the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. The first thing here, and many scholars will agree with this, the thing that we can explain is who finished the book of Mark. Most people believe that these last 12 verses were not actually written by Mark. Um, A lot of the early manuscripts don't have this section of Mark in it. Uh, A lot of the early um, people who who were there and gave these testimonies said that, hey, this this is something that was added later. And so potentially that presents a big problem, but, but here's what we do know. We may not know who finished the book of Mark, but... Everything that is recorded in these 12 verses, we also see in Matthew, we see in Luke, and we see in John. So whether or not this came actually from Mark's own hand, we do know that the stuff in here is completely reliable because we believe that Matthew was entirely written by Matthew, Luke by Luke, and John by John. And so um, I think sometimes we we get a tendency to, to hang up on these small details But we know that what is talked about here in these 12 verses is in fact true because we can confirm it in the other Gospels. With me so far? All right, good. Gail is at least. Thank you, Gail. Um, Number two. Here's a fun one. What do miracles look like today? And honestly, I don't don't know. Um, We see here, starting in verse 17, 17 and 18, there's some interesting things that he says will accompany believers, right? Um, and we believe that this book was not just written for the believers of that time, but for the believers for, for us today. And so, what do we do with this? Now, now, we know the things that were in here in 17 and 18, all but one of those was actually confirmed in the book of Acts. So we know that those things did happen. Uh, the other one actually... Uh, so an early church historian does have an account of, of that being fulfilled. But again, that doesn't necessarily uh, touch what that means for us today. Here's what we do know. When you look at any miracle ever done in the Bible, the whole point of these miracles were to restore things back to a state of perfection, the way that God created everything, whether it be health whether it be uh, the ability to easily get food, uh, whether it be life itself, each of these miracles were basically a, a restoration back to Eden, back to a place that was perfect, a place without um, sickness, a, a place without disease, uh, a place where you had everything that you wanted. Now that includes a restoration of us. Man was created perfect, right? And so... If you were to ask the typical Western Christian what miracles look like today, you would get one answer. If you were to ask some of our friends who are uh, over in these remote parts of the world, they would tell you that miracles look very different. But here is what we all know. 
One of the greatest miracles that I think we forget about is the continual restoration of ourselves. And we know for a fact, if we believe what we think we believe in the Bible, that God is a forgiver of sins. And that is an incredible miracle that we see work in our lives and that is confirmed in us each and every day. So again, it's easy for us to get lost in the weeds with some of this stuff. But the thing that we can't deny for sure is that God does do miracles through us each and every day. The simple fact that he forgives us of our sins. Good so far? Perfect. All right, let's move on. What we can't deny. The first thing that we cannot deny is that Jesus is risen. When you look in the first, just the first few words here of verse 9, it feels like almost an aside, right? You have this incredible cliffhanger. Verse 9 comes along and says, And after Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, whoa, whoa, whoa. After Jesus, what? Like, let's stop here for just a second. If the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, if this is not true, then nothing matters. But because it is true, nothing else matters. And and we miss that. We are so blessed in our church family to be a part of a family that that celebrates what Jesus did for us each and every Sunday. But if we're being honest, after 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years for some of you guys celebrating that, if we're not careful, that idea can lose its power. Even with me, I remember, you know, every night that my kids have been alive, I've tried to pray with them. And it's always easy for me to remember to thank God for the sacrifice and the death of Jesus. But I don't always thank God for getting Jesus out of the tomb. And a God that stays in the tomb is no God at all. A God that can't walk out of the tomb in his own, on his own, is no God at all. You think about the things in life that, that we make our gods, right? The things that we trust in, whether it's uh, financial security, whether it be um, our health, our jobs. Um, I think we can make our kids our gods. We trust in these things. But if we're being honest, we know none of those things can stand the ultimate test. You see, for something to be a real God, an actual, genuine, or genuine, I live in Saudi now, genuine God. It's the fact that with every single challenge that comes, this God can overcome it. Unscathed, unmarked, can totally defeat whatever comes at it. And the only God that we know that actually did that was Jesus, right? So a God that doesn't come out of the tomb is no God at all. And if we believe this, if we believe that this is something so overwhelming that we can't deny it. It changes how we think. It changes how we feel. It changes the way that we act, especially with one another. But it also gives so much more weight to everything else that we read. 
When we read the story of Jesus, when we read the story of the Bible and of church, when we hold true to this fact that Jesus is risen, it paints everything in a different light. The second thing that we cannot deny starts in verse 10. It says, She, meaning Mary Magdalene, went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping and told them what had happened. But when she told them that Jesus was alive and she had seen him, they did not, what? Believe her. Afterward, he appeared in a different form to two of his followers who were walking from Jerusalem into the country. They rushed back to tell the others, but no one believed them. And still, later he appeared to the 11 disciples as they were eating together. He rebuked them because... Uh, because of their stubborn unbelief, because they refused to, one more time, believe those who had seen him after he had been risen from the dead. Something we can't deny is that our default is unbelief. You're welcome for the incredibly uplifting message tonight. Um, I hope you guys have a great time. Um, but, but seriously, think about this. At, at some point in our lives, right? At some point in our lives, we go through a very fundamental shift on how we come to believe things. As a kid, most of us, probably all of us, we believe things solely because someone has yet to prove them false. I mean, think about Santa Claus. I hope I am not busting the bubble for anyone in here. Um, but, but you think about Santa Claus, right? Sorry, Daryl. Um, right? You know, uh, let, let's be real. No, no kid of ours believes that the person at the mall with the fake beard and bad breath is really Santa Claus. But, like, no one had to prove to our kids that Santa exists. I mean, seriously. They just believed it until it was proven false. Now, uh, and we see this play out in certain, in really in different ways. Um, you think about the things in your family, right? I knew for a fact that everyone loved colored Christmas lights until that was proven false when I got married and then almost divorced over those Christmas lights. We literally bought a tree that changes colors, I promise. Um, but here's the thing. At some point in our life, that changes. And we go from believing something until it's proven false to not believing until someone proves it to be true. And in fact, typically the things that are the most important for us, the things that are um, have more consequences in our life and especially for our loved ones, we're going to need some stinking good proof before we believe those. And so our default is, our default is unbelief. And now this doesn't say this in the scripture, but, but I believe this. The disciples, man, they wanted to believe. I mean, can you blame them? They wanted to believe. They had spent three years with the most amazing, compassionate, perfect friend, man, mentor, whatever you want to say. And now he's gone. And then they start hearing all these reports that maybe, maybe he's not. And you know they wanted to believe. 
they couldn't allow themselves to believe. Uh, they had to be rational, right? They had to think about what's going to be next for us. Like, what what are we going to do? I mean, our, the last three years of our life have been committed to this guy and this cause, and now he's gone. They were human. And what this reminds me of is, and a lot of you guys will, will understand this if you've been there, that one of the greatest tools that Satan uses to shake our belief is fear and grief. Whether you've been there or whether you've seen it in a friend or a family member, the tools of fear and grief can shake our belief to its core. Whether it's just believing in God at all or believing that God does the things that he says and promises he does, fear and grief are some of the quickest ways that we can default back to this. But here's the thing. There is good news here. If we internalize this and we really believe it's true and we look at the overwhelming evidence that it is true, then we can safeguard against that, right? We can safeguard against that unbelief. And I think the disciples are just a perfect example of that. The closer in proximity that these guys were to Jesus, the stronger their belief. I mean, you look at Peter, right? In the garden, man, he was cutting ears off of folks, right? I mean, he was, he was ready to rock and roll. He believed in this Jesus. He believed that Jesus would do what he said he was going to do, and he was willing to act on that. But as Josh pointed out on Sunday, whenever he got further and further away from Jesus... He cracked under the pressure and the harsh interrogation of a teenage girl. Which, if we're being honest, teenage girls are terrifying. But that is totally beside the point because he got further away from Jesus. And so you think about that physically for these guys, but metaphorically for us, right? How can we be in proximity to Jesus? Yeah, prayer. You're not ever going to be close to someone you never talk to. You have to find a way to communicate with them. You have reflecting on Scripture. And remember, this is not just reading the Word. When we reflect on Scripture, it is meant for us to internalize it so that it actually affects the way that we live. You think about uh, spiritual friends. Uh, finding someone who you can do this journey with, whether it be in a small group or, or you know, a discipling relationship, someone where you are walking side by side, helping one another become more like Jesus or, or even a spiritual mentor who you know is already closer to Jesus. And they can kind of show you the way, right? They, they, can, they can pull you along in that proximity. But if we know this to be true, then we can safeguard it. We can safeguard against it, and we can fight that default. We can fight that unbelief. And finally, our last point here, let's jump over in verse 15. It says, And then he told them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name, and they will speak in new languages. 
they will be able to handle snakes with safety, and if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick, and they will be healed. And when the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And the disciples went everywhere and preached, and the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. This third undeniable truth that we have is that God trusts us with his mission. I know this is going to come as a huge surprise to most of you, but I am a, a huge nerd. It's just true. I also thought that was my phone ringing, and I freaked out for a second. Um, <clears throat> but I am. I, I'm a huge nerd, and Rachel's back there rolling her eyes because she knows it's true. But especially when it comes to history, I love history. I mean, we're talking, I love 60-hour-long podcasts about certain parts of history type of nerd. I love history. What is so cool about history is when, when you look just over its course and you see these times in the history of our world where these giant powers past their power, their influence, their proverbial torch to another, those are some of the most formative and interesting times that you will ever see. I mean, you think about the ancient world, right? Uh, What these guys were dealing with in the Bible, the Roman Empire, it left its mark on the world, but eventually the torch was passed. You think about, uh, in politics, I think it was um, tomorrow but the year 1900, it was the first time in our country that the Republican Party won uh, the presidency. And from then on, you know, the Federalist Party was, was basically gone, and it was a huge shift in power. You think about it in World War I, where you kind of have this fledgling nation still in the United States, and the center of power for the world economy changed from London to Wall Street. Uh, And you can go on and on. You can think about corporations. You can think about monarchies. You can think about sports teams, whatever it is. Anytime you see this transfer of power, this passing of the torch, there's always some, some really neat, amazing circumstances surrounding that. But I will challenge you, and you will be wrong, If you think that there is any greater passing of the torch than what we just read about. When Jesus looked into the eyes of these 11 tired, unbelieving, grieving men and said, I commission you to reach the world. Never in our history and never in our future will there be a more powerful passing of the torch than we saw in this moment. And here's the thing. Kind of set the scene in your mind, right? Jesus pops in, 
they're freaking out. He kind of chews them out a little bit. And he says, so here's what we're going to do. And they're thinking, man, this is, this is going to be rough because he's like real and he's really back. He says, I want you guys to run the family business. It's kind of like, what? Yeah, I mean, here's the deal, disciples. Dad and I have been working on this thing for a couple of, I don't know, 10,000 years or so. Um, the economy, the, the stock market fall of Genesis 2 was really hard, uh, but we came through it. Um, we got through the desert. We made it through all the prophets, even the minor prophets, which is more than most of us can say as we're reading through the Bible. Um, and, and then here's the deal. As you guys know, for the last three years, I came down and I ran the company. And I wanted you guys to see what that looked like. I wanted to show you guys how to run the family business. I wanted to model it for you. I wanted you to see how to love on people. I wanted you to see how to find someone who doesn't know me and bring them into a relationship with me. And all this transfer of power talk that they probably weren't talking about, but we are, so we'll keep talking about it. All this transfer of power talk, you talk about transferring power. Jesus literally gave us his spirit to help us run the company. This same Jesus that was risen from the dead, the same power that raised him from the dead, he gave to us. And here's how I know he really did trust us with that mission. Because he left, right? I mean, he's been working on this thing for, I don't know, since like Genesis 2. If he didn't trust us with this, he would have found a better way to do it. I mean, surely, right? He would have found somebody better than this group of unbelieving 11 people, but no. He empowered us. He trusted us. And then he said, I think I'm gonna go hang out with dad for a while because you guys have got this. And, and what I'm so excited about, especially with our church family here, is that we are getting ready to, to enter into a, a series starting on Sunday that's basically gonna be about what it looks like to run the family business. What are we about? What are we for as a church family? And as we transition out of this amazing story of Jesus's life and transition into what that looks like for us as his followers, we're going to hit roadblocks. There are going to be barriers there are going to be things that pop up. There are going to be so many things that we can't explain that we could probably fill this board a thousand times. But here's the thing. If this Jesus trusted this group of unbelievers with this mission, it doesn't matter what is over here because we will be a group that does not let the things we can't explain 
overwhelm the things that we can't deny. I, I wanna pray for us tonight. I wanna pray for us as we launch into um, our, our new series on Sunday, as we finish up this awesome story. And I hope it has been just an incredible journey for you guys. We're gonna continually go through things in life that we can't explain. But if we hold true to the things that we can't deny, that power that lives inside us will be let loose in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our city, and in our world. And that, guys, that's exciting. It's an exciting thing. So let's pray again for Jesus to continue to work in our lives through the Holy Spirit. And let us not let the things we can't explain overwhelm the things we can't deny. Let's pray, guys. Father, you're awesome. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for the opportunity to share some of the things that have been on my heart with our church family here. God, you know that I don't have all the answers. And I have a pretty good feeling that a lot of people in this room feel the same way. Uh, It feels like, especially in our branch of your family tree, that we do get hung up on so many things that we can't explain. But God, I really do pray that we focus on the things that we can't deny. The fact that you are a risen God and that you have, in spite of our unbelief, entrusted us with an unbelievable mission to make disciples to find people who don't know you and to introduce them to you, God, so that you can change their hearts. God, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for the death of your son and for the resurrection. It's in his name we pray. Amen.